Hi there. Welcome to episode 4 of Mimble Wimble the Harry Potter podcast. I'm Aishwarya. I'm Prashanthini. We're going to reread the Harry Potter books and discuss them over the course of our run. The episode title today is Harry becomes a seeker. We'll stop midway through chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Let's start off today with a summary of events from when Harry got sorted to when Harry becomes a seeker. After getting sorted into Gryffindor, Harry attends his first feast at Hogwarts. Dumbledore welcomes them and instructs them not to go to the third floor corridor if they don't want to die painfully. Harry experiences a sharp pain on his scar when he looks at Professor Snape. Over the next week, Harry and his housemates attend their classes which are exciting, intriguing and sometimes boring. Harry finds that Professor Snape, who teaches potions, hates him and seems to favor Malfoy and the other Slytherins. Harry learns that there was a robbery attempt at Gringotts and realizes that the vault that was targeted must have been the exact one Hagrid emptied on their first trip to Gringotts. The gang attends their first and only flying lessons where Neville Longbottom ends up breaking his wrist. Malfoy and Harry have a mid-air fight over Neville's remembrance. When Malfoy throws it away, Harry flies and makes a spectacular catch which is seen by Professor McGonagall who takes Harry to someone called Wood. Wood and McGonagall decide that Harry should be the Gryffindor Quidditch team's seeker. At the end of the sorting, just after Ron gets sorted, there's one more student who gets sorted. Blaze Zabini, right? I read a lot of fan fiction for people who don't know me personally. I've always found it fascinating to read fan fiction about like the pivotal sorting moment, right? Like when people get sorted in different houses, different things tend to happen and stuff like that. There was a huge gap between book 5 and book 6 especially. So a lot of people have sometimes written their versions of book 6 and 7. Some people have written what would happen if during like you know at the end of his fifth year during the summer something happened and Voldemort just like died like in one corner somewhere and everybody's just like a normal Hogwarts student going to high school kind of thing and so they're always like trying to pair them off with various people especially you know if you don't want the main canon pairings to happen people obviously like scour the list of first year students getting sorted which we know for sure only from like the philosopher stone because we see like top and lisa and sally and perkins and all getting sorted right so we don't know where they go but Blaze Zabini is important because he gets sorted into Slytherin and we don't know his gender till book 6. I have actually read this great fan fiction. It's really fun to read called Divine Humiliation which has Blaze Zabini as a girl. And then book 6 came out and it turned out he was a guy. Huh. I always found this like really funny because people have yeah. been like so desperate to like you know get new characters. They want more Slytherins but the only Slytherins we know are like Malfoy, Pansy Parkinson and Crab and Goyle yeah. and that's it. So they were like yes we need more female Slytherins so they just <laughs> used Blaze Zabini. <laughs> I did not give it a thought at all. His gender was on a question. Nobody knew. <laughs> and his name is like peculiar enough that you wouldn't even be able to easily guess his gender. Hmm, interesting. But I think I read one of those fan-written books. I mean, I thought it was the actual book. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I been bought, there too. Yeah. I th- I don't know if it was the 5th or the 6th book. It was available on the roadside for 50 bucks or something. I got really excited. It took me like a few chapters before I could realize that. That happened with me in book 7. It was a few chapters in where I was like, "Hey, wait a second. JK Rowling wouldn't write so much romance between Harry and X person. It <laughs> shall not be revealed at this moment." <laughs> Yeah, I think people are going crazy with the yeah. book writing back then. What I immediately noticed was how it was not day one. These are the things that happened. Day two, these are the things. But it was more like the whole week was put together and given as a summary. I really like that. But even before that, there are a lot of things that happen in the feast. My favorite part is that there's so much food. Harry gets really overwhelmed with the amount of food there because, like he says, it's not like the Dursleys starved him. 
Which is an important point to note because this ties into our discussion about the abuse that Harry faced. He's finally revealing one bit of information that's very important to that. Yeah, that's not like they starved him, but it's not like he could eat a lot either. So he gets like really overjoyed and piles everything onto his plate except the mint humbugs. And then even before the feast starts, Dumbledore gets up to give a speech and ends up saying, Before we begin our banquet, I would like to say a few words. Here they are. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Thank you. I've always found it funny, but this is the only time I actually Googled it to find out what it means. A lot of people had the same theory that he said that to show that sorting business is a futile thing. It's not as important as it seems. And each of these words mean something derogatory that one house thinks about everyone else. Nitwit is Ravenclaw because they pride themselves on their intelligence. So they obviously call everybody else Nitwit. Yeah. And Blubber is Gryffindor, which apparently could be like Blubber as in cry, like people Blubber on or like something to do with physical courage because the Gryffindors are all about the courage. So they think everybody else is just like a big cry baby. <laughs> I actually read that Gryffindors are jocks. That yes. was, yeah, that was really odd. I never thought of them like that. And it's not like everybody in Gryffindor is particularly good at sports. So I don't know if I can really uh, accept that explanation to it. Oddment means some leftover cloth or something. Yeah, from uh, like a bolt of cloth that's left over. Slytherins basically are pure blood crazy. So everybody else is oddment for them. And Tweak, Tweak was really weak for me. Yeah. Yeah. Tweak is for Hufflepuff because they think that everybody else should tweak it down. Like whether it's the purebred craziness or whether it's the jockness <laughs> or whatever, they should be tweaked to bring it down. Anyway, this is a fun theory, but I don't know if it actually... Yeah, I doubt it. Yeah, it's plausible, but there are some words that don't fit very well. So I, I'm not sure if I can take it at face value. But based on this, it's clear that in the beginning, at least, J.K. Rowling really wanted Dumbledore to be this mad genius kind of a person. As we go through the series, we know that He's not exactly a mad genius. He's just a genius. <laughs> and I feel like in more ways than one, the first book is like a pilot episode of a show because there are many things that J.K. Rowling tries with this book and then later on gives up completely. I mean, there are some plot points that, that start from the first book that are recalled in the later books. So plot is strong. But when it comes to characters and the way she writes, I think there are many uh, styles that she sheds as she moves on to the other books. But one is making the characters very black and white. But I think the characters black and white thing could just be that first book is intended to be a children's book. But the other books are not intended to be children's book. No, but I agree with you. I think one of the strongest examples immediately follows in the Hogwarts school song. Yeah, which is never, song. Which yeah. is never used again. I mean, it's yeah. like a really fun song and I'm sort of sad it's not very used again. But I'm glad, I'm glad it yeah. exactly it's just like you said like you know it's like a pilot episode it's like she like watched the reaction and realized this thing never going to take off <laughs> based on the rest of the book we will be able to figure out if she was really testing the waters here i also did not know anything about the ghosts okay i knew some things about the ghosts backgrounds before you know reading this chapter in great detail some of the ghosts are actually important to the storyline but I actually do not know, even though he's technically my favorite ghost, why nearly headless Nick is nearly headless. I knew that it was because of a blunt axe and 45 times all that stuff. It comes in the next book. But I didn't realize that it was because he was trying to help a muggle lady with her teeth. And he used a charm, but it backfired and her teeth started growing out like a tusk. 
so he got imprisoned and then sentenced to you know beheading and because people suspected that he's magical yeah and they just went at it with a blunt axe the fat friar has a great story as well i mean he went to hogwarts as well and uh, once he graduated he became a mendicant to like you know who gave up money and to just like help other people but you know everybody started suspecting him when he started performing miracles with just one wooden stick that's how the fat friar got got out so all this information is coming from pottermore right yes and jk rowling herself has written all this i was reading about the uh, ghost too and uh, there was something about poking someone with a wooden stick and curing them of smallpox yeah that's the, the fat fry fat fry okay <laughs> maybe yeah. he could have been a little bit more discreet about how he helped them but it was crazy back then I, there was a book about plague that i read i think one of the important plot points that happened there is also how this one particular lady cures plagues and she is actually curing it with medicines but people get really suspicious of her mainly because they consider her to be loose and so they stone her to death so i guess this was the way of life back then i find this an interesting contrast to events later on in the bidnet duel where everybody talks about how they've been like flying all their lives ron talks about how he nearly hit a hang glider on charlie's old broom and uh, the way malfoy says that he was constantly escaping muggle helicopters and shamus is like zooming around the countryside on his broom and stuff and you know these guys are very casual about the way they almost expose themselves to the muggle world even though now surveillance methods are a lot more comprehensive and complex when poor sir nicholas and the fat friar were killed for just being odd yeah with enough killing i just think that the magical people realize that they need to conceal themselves better so they can use spells to protect wherever they are maybe as technology advanced magic also advanced yeah. so, so they build better protection even if the broom had been really close to the helicopter as malfoy says maybe the muggles couldn't see him because the broom had a charm or something The nearly headless question is asked by Seamus in this one. I really like the Hermione's version better from the movie. Nearly headless? How can you be nearly headless? I I agree. I actually was like wondering who is that voice who says it in the movie? I can like remember it very distinctly. And is that how you pronounce his name? I have no idea. Stephen Fry says Seamus or something like that. But Sandy-haired Seamus Finnegan interrupted. I don't think I can say that. So I'm just going to say Seamus and you say what you want. <laughs> I really don't remember anyone actually referring to him in the movie. He comes up, but he says his lines himself without someone saying his name. He's not like Dean where someone says Dean and I know what Dean is pronounced like thanks to like Gilmore Girls and stuff. He's there all the time but no one's like hey, he's there. It's not like Neville where you know how to pronounce his name because it comes up a lot. <laughs> It's Seamus. Yeah. For this episode let's try to say Seamus. Seamus. This is in relation It sounds like we're saying Seamus. Yes. Let's stick to Seamus. Yes, don't Seamus seriously. <laughs> During the feast I was uh, really surprised to find out a sort of similarity between the childhoods of Neville and Seamus oh. and the article that you wrote about the unhappy childhoods of oh. the characters of Harry Potter and these guys don't exactly have like happy background stories either I mean Seamus's mother did not tell his father that she was a witch until after they got married and I expect that did not lead to any kind of pleasantness for a while at least No he said it was a real shock to him but what I thought was it would be a very interesting rom-com <laughs> yes I would watch that. Yeah. And then Neville talks about how like everybody was like convinced that he was not magical and his uncle pushed him out of a pier once. I cannot imagine what that must have been like. He dropped him out of a window. Yeah. What if he had died? Neville nearly drowned once. That's right. really hard. Yeah. It is clear the progression of his terrible childhood to his terrible adolescence is very clear. Yeah. 
Poor um, Neville does not get a break until he becomes an adult. This is insane theory that I read. It's not really a spoiler, so I'm just going to say it. Neville is so bad at magic till around the fifth year of Hogwarts. And then he be- becomes like incredibly cool. He does become cool. So that's because for so long, Neville has been using his father's wand, it seems. He gets a new wand. He says that he gets a new wand from Ollivander's. He does say that. that time. Oh, I never realized that. That theory was about what the Remembrall was trying to remind him. And it was it was insane, okay? The Their theory was that the Remembrall was trying to tell Neville that you forgot your wand. Meaning, you forgot to buy your own wand. I don't believe it. Yeah, I don't believe that either. <laughs> anyway, let's Could have been it. any number of things, including like you forgot your backpack in the dorm. Oh, actually in the movie, he forgets his robes. Oh. Everybody else is wearing the black robe. And he's not. I think that was an interesting uh, Easter egg. Yeah, that is a fun <laughs> Easter egg. Back in the feast, there's a very <laughs> nice and obvious exposition going on. Since we already know that Muggle families can have wizards and witches because of Hermione and uh, Lily. And we also know that there have been long-standing wizarding families too. We see one variation where uh, Seamus is half and half, right? And there's another variation with Neville where his parents were magical, but people suspected that he wasn't. So this is like all kinds of permutation and combination is done. done here <laughs> yeah that is fun I, i didn't notice that when they leave the great hall to go to the dormitories and they come across peeves carrying a bunch of walking sticks i don't know where he got so many walking sticks from but fine he has walking sticks i found it interesting that uh, percy says that only the bloody baron can control peeves how can another ghost control peeves In the, like during the feast, Bloody Baron is sitting next to Malfoy and Harry notices how Malfoy seems uncomfortable. Because it's, he's covered in blood. Yeah, I think that is the main appeal there. Oh, but I if, think it, that's I, how he's... If he's silver and he's covered in blood, it'll also be silver. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't get it. It could be covered in water or chocolate for all everybody else who knows. Chocolate maybe, water is transparent again. Yeah. I mean, how can anybody control peeves? But... I think later on we find out that ghosts are also affected by magic like affected by spells so in a way wizards and witches can control the ghosts but I don't know how Bloody Baron can <laughs> I also found it interesting that when I was trying to look up stuff about Peeves that he has no origin story and that J.K. Rowling like she thought but I don't yeah. know why she said she thought because it's like yeah you obviously you only think <laughs> but yeah so her idea is that uh, Peeves is as old as Hogwarts itself hmm. he, he's part of the foundation like dry rot uh I think one of the biggest questions which I've always had is why Hogwarts, the school, the architecture and the people are so complicated. There are difficulties everywhere. There are 142 staircases and then there are moving staircases. There are doors that are not doors. Then why caves. are walls pretending to be doors? Yeah. So I was wondering if that was just magic gone wrong or... uh it's is it like a wizarding equivalent of building a staircase to nowhere how does it make the place seem more appealing to kids who are reading these books i don't understand well i think it's fun when i was a kid and i read that thing about how like a wall pretending to be a door and trick staircases and you have to jump over stuff that seemed like really fun like whoa hmm. complicated stuff and like every day is a trial and but i also think that maybe in in harry potter there might exist pockets of wild magic maybe hmm. things that are not necessarily like man made and at hogwarts might be in a particular pocket because later on in the series we found out that electrical instruments don't work at hogwarts oh i thought this is a context because of a spell or a it could be we we don't know okay. why it could be but i also 
thought that it might be because of which is why there might be the forest with so many creatures like living there hogwarts might have been built in that particular location because of that wild mm-hmm. magic power which is why they're teaching students there because there's so much magic around them that it's easier to tap into your own when there's so much there there's a potential that if you do like a long lasting spell like something on a door it could go wrong eventually because it's going to be there for hundreds of years yeah that makes total sense oh even before they start going to the dormitory the a very important event happens harry's scar hurts yeah. like first time in forever and because a greasy guy with hook nose stares at him he it's not even like he stares at him he looks into his eyes i'm reading a romance novel right now and i'm misconstruing everything <laughs> oh <laughs> so he looks past quirrell's turban mm. and once he sees him his scar hurts he just what says, was your first reaction ever like when you read about snape i did not care like yeah okay snape is there Cool. Do you think that he is the villain of the story? Uh yeah, I'm very susceptible to any kind of belief like that. So, I was always thoroughly convinced that Snape is the villain. Okay. Like in the first book and later on in the series, this is not even like a one trick plot. It comes up repeatedly that Snape mm. is the villain. I believed it every time. Oh. <laughs> I was like Snape is the bad guy. I totally believe you, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is how it is made out to be and it's okay if you believe that. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's nothing about Snape that I particularly liked or wanted I didn't want to champion him in any manner or whatsoever. He wasn't like that character that I had connected with and I wanted to desperately believe in no matter what happens. To the extent where I even like stop reading or stop watching because I connect with that character so much. And the way he behaves to Harry especially later on in The, the first next, class that yeah, they have yeah does not endear him to any particular character and to be fair when i was a child i read this book for the first time when i was like 11 or something i did not have any teacher who i could liken to snape i had a mcgonagall so it was easy to make the connection between even i had a mcgonagall i did not have a snape personally mm-hmm. but some teachers become snape to some people that never happened to me and i wasn't very observant about what happened to everybody else i guess <laughs> I had a Snape when I was like 16. I wouldn't even call her a Snape because I think Snape would be upset by the comparison. <laughs> oh, I did have a Snape, but she was not my subject teacher. She was my NCC trainer. Ah. She was like that, yelling at me for no reason, trying to pull me down all the time. A very bad quality in teacher. Yeah. I, I thought Alan Rickman, I thought he was a very bad choice for Snape. For some reason, I thought he'd be very thin and lanky. And Alan Rickman is not that thin and lanky. His voice is good but you can barely make out what he's saying. But that's the point. His voice is supposed to be soft, right? Like as Harry notes, he has a gift for being heard even if he's not being loud, just like McGonagall. It was interesting that he's after another teaching position but he's stuck with potions, but he seems to love potions. I also think yeah, sorry, it's just your previous point about keeping his voice quiet deliberately. I always think that quieter threats are scarier. than if someone yells at you which is why i think snape is so effectively scary because his voice is quiet and you you have to lean into here which means you're like leaning into his web sort of <laughs> so i completely sympathize with neville <laughs> actually i think everybody is slightly scared of snape but no one to the extent of neville neville is the most affected but his target mainly is harry but he's not really scared having someone yell at you is just he's just used to it yeah but i thought that this absolute non reaction to it was very mature of him actually yeah i would have cried he just thinks that it's unfair and sassy harry just comes out when yeah. he's like i don't know said harry quietly i think hermione does though 
Why don't you try her? Yeah, they get like really adversarial really quick. It was an interesting point that you said about why would he want another job when he already has potions? And he seems and he must have been good at potions to be teaching potions. And he seems to be in love with it. He's yeah. like, I can teach you how to stop her death. Brew fame, mm. no bottle fame, brew glory, and yeah. stop her death. And he, the speech is excellent in the movies. Mm-hmm. Harry will be making note of these things. Brew <laughs> glory, <laughs> stop oh, her I death. I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. So it. stupid. <laughs> yes. The scene that happens in the movies is much better than what happens in the books, in the potions class. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I think that's mostly because of Alan Rickman. Yeah. It took a long time for me to actually appreciate his talents. The dialogue itself is slightly different and slightly modified, just enough to make it catchy. So in the book, I think he says, uh, clearly famous and everything. But in the movie, he says, Clearly, fame isn't everything. Is it Mr. Potter? I cannot hmm. imagine what it must have been like to film that scene and then see him around set. Like, <laughs> he has to be constantly in character like that, right? He has to be like all like swoopy and scary. And To be fair, the teachers in Hogwarts are not the primary people in the screen. Not he, all the teachers. I mean, Snape is around a lot. Sprout is never around. <laughs> and my favorite thing about Flitwick comes up like two books down the line. But he's teaching the doors to recognize the picture. He has treated really unfairly. Yes. In the first week at least. Yes. He reads Harry Potter's name and he topples out of sight. Yes. It's really funny though. It's it's really interesting that he's a dwarf. He's a dwarf. Right? Yeah. And it's just casually mentioned. Like, yeah, yeah. They actually don't mention the word. So it's like there's Hagrid who is almost a giant. It's nice. I think I like the diversity. I didn't really appreciate Flitwick the actor in the movies because... Fritwick himself doesn't have a big role to play. Why would the actor have a role to play and stuff? But he actually comes in a Doctor Who episode and he's really good. Mm. I'm sad that he didn't get a larger part in the series. Let's just go back to when uh, Percy was reading the first years mm. to their dorm. Percy is really overestimating the power of being a prefect. He's like... He usually gives us a reason why we're not allowed to go somewhere. I do think he might have told us prefects at least. And he's like... Peeves doesn't listen to our prefects also. You just became a prefect. <laughs> Nobody will listen to you right away. That is true. He actually acts like he's been a prefect. Power. Yeah, he's been a prefect forever. Yeah, and he leads uh, leads them to the entrance to the Gryffindor dorm, which turns out to be a painting of a fat lady in pink silk. And the password is Capo Draconis, which apparently means dragon's head. So I was Googling Capo Draconis and I read this amazing article written by someone who works in uh, cryptography, I think. I wasn't certain. They had written about how like when they were watching the movie, the first thing that came to mind was nobody looked around to see if there were any other houses near them. Whatever Slytherin had been lurking nearby and he heard the password. And there's no two-factor authentication. <laughs> These kids don't know how to be careful about their passwords. The title was, Why is Capo Draconis such a bad password? It'll be Capo Draconis! Exclamation point. Yes. One, two, three. <laughs> But the Gryffindor common room is like everything I want in a reading room. I completely agree. I think squashy is the perfect descriptor of an armchair. All armchairs must be squashy. And there's a fireplace and there are chairs arranged around it. But to be fair, if I had been studying there, I would not have been able to get those fireside chairs ever. Yeah, me neither. I I would have been bullied into giving it up. I think if we maybe done it in the middle of the night. (laughs) <laughs> like a lame person yes sure one in the morning wake up and come and sit in the chair <laughs> I was surprised to discover and so this isn't something I paid a lot of attention to when reading the series when I was younger but it became more and more obvious as the books go on because only the same set of characters keep coming up again and again there, there are only five first year boys in Gryffindor mm. I always thought there were a lot of them and this was just one particular dorm of oh. Gryffindor first year boys but there are only five first year boys 
not a lot of magical people around yeah i know i was just like really surprised and then once i noticed that i kept noticing it again and again there are 20 students attending flying mm-hmm. lessons whereas i thought 20 i don't know what i was thinking as a kid very dumb i guess <laughs> you cannot have an overpopulous place if it's overpopulous it becomes a dystopian story rather than a fantasy story that no i don't mean overpopulous but more like i always thought of it as there were more kids which is why i was amazed by the decorations of the dorm rooms as well four poster beds for so many kids is like a huge thing that means the castle is ginormous right the castle is described as ginormous but even through the series there are very few places that we actually see that's because harry belongs to gryffindor and he spends a lot of time in gryffindor tower yeah but look at dumbledore issuing that notice and finally i must tell you that this year the third floor corridor on the right hand side is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death is that the only corridor in the third floor on the right hand side i guess you're right like he never gives anything more specific like next to this painting or next to this statue or, or i don't understand why he would announce it instead of just putting like some yellow sticker tape there being like don't enter or just magicking the doorway so no one can see it but more on this later <laughs> Harry has this incredible first day when they go to sleep he gets a dream. I don't believe in dream interpretations. I don't believe in interpretation of dreams even within the Harry Potter universe. There are some very obvious dreams like they are meant to be read into. What I really like about J.K. Rowling is she describes a lot of dreams that Harry has and most of them are very random. I think she wants to mislead you into thinking that something's happening that you're supposed to pay attention to the dreams. But I just think that dreams are dreams. They are random and she wants those things to be a part of Harry's life. So I thought his first dream on the first night, I thought there'll be an incredibly ridiculous explanation for the dream somewhere on the internet and I was searching for it. Mm-hmm. To be honest, it was not as ridiculous as I thought it would be. So the dream was about Viril, Snape and Malfoy. And uh, the explanation was that even though Harry is consciously not thinking of Viril as a bad guy, his subconscious mind... equates him to Snape and Malfoy. That's Who he the, knows as bad. Oh, yeah, I don't think about it. That's the most uh, ridiculous interpretation that's that I got. That's not so ridiculous at all. And I'm not surprised that you don't believe in interpreting dreams considering some of the ones you've had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> most of my dreams involve someone trying to murder me. It has not happened yet. And so I don't believe in dreams. <laughs> After the dream, the next chapter begins. The Potions Master. I'm reading the illustrated edition of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone uh, by Jim McKay. McKay. And uh, he has a portrait of Snape as well. Hmm. And this Snape is not as good looking as Alan Rickman. <laughs> like his hair is greasier. And I've noticed that a lot of people when they're trying to make fun of Snape just bring up the whole hair thing. When there are so many other things you can use. This hooked nose. Or the fact that he's always dressed in black like some overgrown bat. I think J.K. Rowling uses the exact words yeah, to describe does. him at some yeah, point. Overgrown bat she does. Mm. No, but I saw this amazing BuzzFeed post also where someone bought a figure of Alan Rickman as Snape. And he has like these long robes, right? Like even his hands, they're, they're hanging off. They're called uh, butterfly arms or something, I think. When you have that much fabric hanging off mm. your arms. And you can like move the hands. It looks like you could flap his <laughs> hands. <laughs> The the chapter actually starts with people spotting Harry pointing at him and exclaiming there look where next to the tall kid with the red hair I truly feel bad for Ron because I hate being that person the descriptor for the descriptor for uh, someone else in school and college I I hung out with at least one or two friends who were like incredibly popular I would be the tall kid next to whom the popular kids are 
and people might know me just because i hang out with them but they might not know my name at all it's actually worse than being a nobody yeah i agree that this becomes a really big plot point later on for ron especially but he's a he's a boy and he's been overshadowed by his brothers all his life up till that point and again he's overshadowed by a friend maybe if they had started the school like when you are 16 or 17 i think he would not have been friends with harry I, by that point he would have been like i'm done being overshadowed maybe uh, at this point he just thinks of it as it's something that sets me apart i'm not just a weasley doing things that all my brothers have done look i have a famous friend i don't know if he's thinking that much that's yeah. my problem i think if he's thinking that much he would have not been friends with harry at all i think harry seems mature enough to draw a line he's like i'm done being bullied over a span of one or two months he's really changed yeah they attend a bunch of classes harry actually does get disturbed by the fact that everybody is pointing at him because he thinks it's making him late because it's, it's getting him confused i can totally understand that yeah. imagine if you're like walking around thinking it's the right direction you see someone crossing and then you see someone crossing again and you're like <laughs> what am i in a loop <laughs> this is groundhog day but all of his classes sound really fun learning about herbology the greenhouses and then you know wednesday nights going up and studying the stars and then transfiguration and yeah. charms what is your favorite subject transfiguration i thought transfiguration and charms are somehow physics like mm-hmm. potions is obviously chemistry, chemistry yeah herbology is botany that's it i i guess they don't need language studies yeah. it's really strange that they don't teach them languages but i guess if you could like have a spell that would help you interpret you know how they have the babel fish in uh, app babel fish in hitchhiker's guide to a galaxy no Okay. <laughs> so the app is actually named oh, oh, after no, no, the yeah, fish yeah, got from it, uh, the from the series. So mm-hmm. maybe the wizards have some equivalent of that. No, but it's not even learning other languages. How, where do they learn grammar? Oh, maybe they learn grammar in their primary school before they come to uh, Do they have a school? I don't know. It never comes up. It sounds like yeah. they're homeschooled a lot. Yeah, I think they are very behind on certain things like the magical community is not very advanced there is no mathematics right now eventually yeah, they don't comes... learn anything about the law either uh, yeah but it comes later i think i mean it's... even we had civics so clearly they are not uh, advanced enough to have these subjects even zoology they don't have an exact equivalent of zoology they have care of magical creatures eventually but it's just care it's not and it's an elective they are not like flit open the unicorn and see what's inside <laughs> thank god they don't <laughs> it's just they can use magic to bypass a lot of things mm. so they don't have to study them to understand how they really work i mean i know that in potions they use a bunch of ingredients like snake fangs and they use like random body part, which is the reason that potions is not my favorite subject even though i actually like chemistry if i went to hogwarts and i had to like encounter these things and grind them and put them i would probably <laughs> not like that subject either plus i respond better to someone like mcgonagall than someone like snape as a teacher mm, so I, everybody responds better yeah <laughs> no the really funny part is i would totally be like hermione if there's a teacher who hates the whole class so much if, oh yeah if they are I'd like try, i'd be constantly trying to win their approval yeah, yeah. if they are like i can teach you how to bottle fame brew glory even stop a death if you aren't as big a bunch of dunderheads as i usually have to teach i'll be like i am not a dunderhead <laughs> let me prove it to you yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> you yeah. totally feel her there yeah but okay even before the, the potions class starts there's a description of filch and uh, his cat mrs norris it's an incredibly funny name for yeah. a cat what was really interesting to me was not that the caretaker was mean 
but he makes his cat do some of his work. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. Here, doggy, right? My blog post. <laughs> yeah, but it would be very convenient. Yes. In that case, I will have a pet. If if I could be like your cat, sit at home and wait for the delivery man. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> During the explanation of these classes. J.K. Rowling also articulates one of the things that we discussed in the previous episodes about how wizardry is not just wand waving and saying some funny words. You really need to learn a lot to get to a point where you can do those things. Especially converting a table into a pig is going to be impossible for someone with no experience. Yeah, and this is a point that comes up later in the next chapter. So, but I'm going to bring it up now because I thought it was closely connected to this. Before they take flying lessons, Hermione is very nervous about flying lessons. The description is that Hermione Granger was almost as nervous about flying as Neville was. This was something you couldn't learn by heart out of a book. Not that she hadn't tried. But we know that none of these other subjects are something you can learn from a book. It's not like she could have read ten books on transfiguration and been better at it. Because it's not just about reading. Some it's, you can know something in theory and still not be able to practice it really well. With enough practice and theory, you can do it when it comes to transfiguration. But flying is like sports. For some people, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine that Hermione is not good at flying. It's mm. completely okay. It's just the accusation is that it's because she couldn't learn it from a book. When a lot of Hermione's intelligence actually come from books. Yes, she's good at magic because she learned from books. It's yeah. a part and part, right? A lot mm. of people call her the most talented witch mm. of her generation, etc. And true. But I think a part of it comes from her books, but a part of it is her as well. Mm. Like okay. she is smart enough to put into practice what she learns. So I thought it was a very unfair accusation of Hermione <laughs> being like, oh, it's because she couldn't learn it from a book. We see the transfiguration is fun, charms. We don't get to see much yet. There is no explanation of what that class is at all. There is also history of magic, which is interestingly taught by a ghost. How does Bin's great paper? There is a nothing. good point. How does he great papers? Probably as a teaching assistant. There is also mention of him using some notes and stuff. How does How he turn papers? Yeah. I don't know. Huh? I think it's just that just the way he forgot that he's dead and he just woke up and uh, not forgot that he's dead. He didn't realize that he's dead and he woke up from the fire and started teaching. In the same way, I think he just doesn't realize that he cannot handle notes and he assumes that he's doing it, but he's not actually doing it. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there was one very interesting. I also don't understand why history of magic is boring. I think a lot of it is to do with the way Bins teaches it. Yeah. If you're droning on in a dry, boring voice, I mm-hmm. totally get it. But you have names like Emmerich the Evil and Yurik the Oddball. I think I would read. Would you find that interesting? Yeah, Emmerich the Evil. What did he do, and how did he have that amazing alliterative name? <laughs> it's not very smart, but it's very unfair. Okay, alliterative names can also be smart. I know, but like Yurik the Oddball is better. <laughs> What did he do to learn that name? I want to know. It's not like something boring. Like our history only had stuff like Alexander the Great, this person the Great, that person the Awesome. I would have been very interested in learning more about some villains. Even if the heroes, supposedly heroic people, had some villain aside, we don't get exposed to those things. Yeah. There is an entry in Pottermore about Professor Bins and generally ghosts. J.K. Rowling has said that the inspiration for Professor Bins was an old professor at my university. who gave every lecture with his eyes closed rocking backwards and forwards slightly on his toes while he was a brilliant man his disconnect to his students was total this reminds me of a story that my brother told me recently about a professor at his university who apparently turns his back towards his students and teachers he he's apparently very smart as well and he gives them a lot of useful information but even if you have any questions you cannot ask him because he's not looking at you <laughs> bins also adds to your diversity thing so of giant and ghost <laughs> uh-huh. 
and i thought it was very sweet of hedwig to come visit harry at breakfast even if she didn't have a letter so just like come eat his toast and go because she knows he doesn't get a lot of mail and she's just there to say hi and then go back oh she eats toast in this one mm. because she nips his ear i remember but apparently uh, jk rowling had written in some book that hedwig eats a bit of bacon from harry's oh, plate yeah. and everybody got like really outraged <laughs> like owls don't eat bacon <laughs> I thought it was pretty sweet of Hedwig to come visit Harry and she must have gone to Hagrid to get the letter. We know later on in the series also that Hedwig sometimes does things to help Harry out, right? Like she goes to his friends to like get mail for him because he instructs her to. No, in book 3, Harry receives a present because Hedwig so the person who sends him the present would be wondering how to give it to him when Hedwig just shows up out of the blue takes the present and goes, which mm. means Hedwig is much much smarter than we think she oh, is. Oh, okay. This actually answers my question. It was very stupid concept using your pet to send you information. Hagrid walking all the way to the owlery writing yes. something. <laughs> Maybe he could just find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I thought it was pretty sweet of Hagrid also to invite Harry. For all Hagrid knew Harry maybe hadn't made any friends or you know he was maybe he might be having a tough time because he's homesick. And it was pretty nice of Hagrid to homesick. Like, I don't know. <laughs> We don't know what Hagrid was thinking, but it was pretty nice of Hagrid to just like, you know, be like, "Hey, why don't you come and hang out? I know you're the I know that I am the only person that you know here." Oh, it could just be that he's fond of him. Yeah, but it's a nice and, gesture. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice gesture. Actually, it was pretty nice that Ron is also like, "Hey, can, can I also I, come?" Yes, that was nice. I, that it's was a nice blooming of friendship. Yes. Okay, so finally the potions class happens, and Harry is like humiliated by Snape. I mean, there's a description of the potions classroom where they say there are various pickled animals in jars, and I completely believe that uh, Snape did it deliberately to like scare paint of heart yeah. people. Initially, Harry thought that Snape doesn't like him, and after the class, he's convinced that he hates him. I really like that when he asks him questions continuously. Hermione is trying to catch his attention, and eventually, she gets so frustrated that like she's standing up and she's raising her hand. I love Hermione. It says a lot about Snape, though, that uh, no matter what reasons he might have, that he chooses to bully eleven-year-old. Eleven? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just it's impossible to ever empathize with him, and with no provocation. Snape just operates off a bunch of assumptions that. Oh, Harry is might think might have a big ego because he's yeah. famous. How, what does he even know about Harry to assume those things? The person who actually has big ego is Malfoy for no reason again. But he's Snape has him. to be nice to Slytherin, yeah. right? Because he's the head of the house. No, but you don't have to be nice. That's true. Never stop McGonagall, <laughs> as Harry says. What was really funny was when the accident with Neville happens. Mm. They're actually making uh, potions to cure boils, and he gets boils, and he gets boils, <laughs> and Snape was like, "Take him to the hospital." <laughs> That day they go to Hagrid's hut and Harry is like Snape hates me and Hagrid's like no he doesn't but he he seems really suspicious. There like Harry can... doesn't Hagrid does know some information but he's not telling. Yeah, and there are rock cakes there which for a long time I thought was a made up thing but it turns out that I have eaten rock cakes I just didn't know they were called oh. that. They're fruit cakes with a rough surface like a rock. Ah, okay. Yeah, except Hagrid takes it a little bit too far and they, <laughs> they nearly break their teeth on them. But there's something else happens as well when uh, Ron is telling Hagrid about his brother Charlie who's working in Romania with dragons Harry finds an article mm. about a break in in Gringotts on July 31st which was Harry's birthday the day that they were there this is another time where Hagrid is like you know very shifty yeah he, and it's clear that Hagrid is not revealing all the information he knows But Harry immediately thinks that oh this is way more interesting than anything I've come across in my classes. It's very unfair, Harry. <laughs> very unfair. I also like the um, spokes goblin's comment in the newspaper. He's like. 
but we're not telling you what was in there, so keep your noses out if you know what's good for you. <laughs> so then... It's the midnight duel. Yes. What is this flying lessons plural thing? It never happens again, right? Throughout the series. Oh, you're right. Actually, yes. Why is it in plural? This whole thing is a plot moment device. Like, Snape makes someone else take Neville to the hospital wing. When Madam Hooch takes him herself. Yeah, I agree. Given that you are putting a bunch of 11-year-olds on brooms and asking them to go up and come down, you can't tell me this is the first time this has happened. Yeah. Which means, why don't you have something around to prevent it? You could cushion the ground. Uh, we know later on in the series that some people know a spell to slow down and descent. You didn't learn that? <laughs> Everything here is for you movement would, of the plot. Yeah, complete movement of the plot. From the time the remember all comes. Or I, I would think that whoever is in the hospital wing would at least be like lurking nearby to help out immediately. Huh, yeah. It is affecting our sensibilities right now because of the civilization's progress. But they are far behind. And people like a century ago did not care about safety, honestly. It's not just about safety, but it's also about trouble, right? Now she has to take Neville to the wing. I mean, he has to get his bone repaired and... It's just a lot of trouble. First, everything starts with Neville, Neville getting, getting a remembrall. From his grandmother. Because he's so forgetful. The remembrall turns red if someone holds it and they have forgotten something. Which is odd because everybody forgets something at some point in their lives. Which means you're always... It should always be red. When Fall. Malfoy and Harry hold it, it never turns red. Are they remembering everything at all points? Good point. I don't anything, know. Anyway, I think the remembrall is only there because it's a transparent ball. <laughs> and it's hard to catch. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. It's the closest thing to a snitch. Yeah. yeah. Harry actually says that he hasn't met anybody who he hates as much as Malfoy. Just because he's gloating from the Slytherin table about receiving so many presents. Malfoy is generally mean to Harry, I agree. But I think his hatred towards Malfoy right now is uncalled for. And it's only because Malfoy resembles Dudley so much. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, I would understand it if Malfoy was deliberately like being like, Harry, look at all the presents I have or something. <laughs> but yeah. he's just generally gloating. Generally <laughs> gloating. And he's like, oh my God, I hate Malfoy. I hope to have a fight with him someday. <laughs> yeah. And then people get really excited because there's a pinup about flying lessons and everybody starts talking about Quidditch. That's when they talk about when they rode brooms and what happened. And then Ron talks to Dean Thomas about football mm-hmm. and he finds it ridiculous to find a game fun when there's only one ball involved and no one's flying. <laughs> I completely agree with you, Ron. That whole part about like Dean has a picture of his football team and like Ron's trying to prod and make the players move. <laughs> Finally, they go to the flying lessons and it's with Slytherins. The things that Madam Hooch teaches them. Stick out your right hand over your broom called Madam Hooch at the front, and say, up. Happens only now. Yeah. It never happens again. I agree. Is the up implied later on? When? Whenever Harry flies. He never says up. They just pick up the broom. I think up might be like a training wheel kind of thing. You say it initially, but after that you might even say it mentally. And if your broom <laughs> is connected to you, it will come up to you. In the movies especially, when they like just start flying, they just like literally just pick up the broom, sit on it and it just like zooms off. It also makes sense that they would try it out first without putting their weight on it. And then Neville is taken away to the hospital wing and the remember all is lying around and Malfoy is like... Did you see his face? The great lump. And Harry is like, here's my chance to fight with him. No, weirdly enough, we meet two new characters here. Parvati Patel and Pansy Parkinson, both yeah. of whose names are alliterated with the same letter. <laughs> but also our first Indian kid mentioned. Feels like Parvati and Pansy have a lot more history than is let on later in the series. Because when uh, Parvati says, leave it alone, Pansy is like, I didn't think you would stand up for never. Like, why did you say that? I what do you know th- about her? No, I think Parvati is probably better looking. So? I don't think you would go out with someone like Neville. No, no. Go out? Oh. 
And Harry is like sad to note that Malfoy is a good flyer. But then he realizes that maybe he's not so bad either. I it's, can't believe he just like jumped on a broom and took off. The description actually makes you believe it because he's so angry. He's feeling his pulse in his ears. He just makes a rash decision there. It's clear that he would never do something like this when he's thinking rationally. He just flies after him and he realizes that he could fly and it feels wonderful. Malfoy is really surprised. I also remember how uh, Malfoy gets rid of the remembrol from the movie. He just mm. like randomly tosses it off and Harry has this breakneck chase Same. sort of thing where he en- it ends in front of the tower oh, where McGonagall is sitting in. And- But in the book, he just like tosses it to the ground and Harry has to go into a steep dive to get it, which I think is actually harder than what they showed in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he still manages to execute it really well. Yeah. Like you said, plot movement device, basically. McGonagall just randomly showing up and mm-hmm. seeing it and then being like, whoa. When Harry follows Malfoy, Hermione just says that you don't know how to fly in the book. In the movie, again, it's amazing. She says, what an idiot. I really love her delivery. <laughs> She's so cute. She's very cute. And when McGonagall stops outside a class and she says, can I borrow wood? And Harry's like, is wood a cane that she's going to use on me? Oh, did you expect something there? No. I, I actually don't remember. I didn't expect anything there. And then it turns out that he became a seeker. Actually, they don't really explain what a seeker is. There's like a suspense building up and all that. It's nice. I love how completely not starstruck wood is. He's only concerned about Quidditch. He's only concerned about how well the Gryffindor team can oh, do. Yeah. Which we later on see as well repeatedly yeah. in the series. One note character. <laughs> I literally do not care what is happening around me. I I remember the movie Wood clearly because he's like really hot but the book Wood is described as burly movie Wood is actually kind of thin good really looking thin. yeah okay <laughs> he is <laughs> well they don't mention anything about the looks in the books so. yeah and then we also see that McGonagall is very enthusiastic about Quidditch and looks like Snape is also enthusiastic about Quidditch and they seem to have some kind of cold war going on because of it that was really fun fun yeah. insight into how their lives are yes Like it seems very normal. There's like no giant plot and all. It's like, oh, this is a school game. I mean, there's a sport they play in school. There's a rivalry based on fairly normal. And it's big of McGonagall that she's not punishing Harry for what he did at all. She's so consumed by her liking for the game and, and for the Gryffindor team to win that she is okay with overlooking a rule. And she's one of the strictest teachers there. I agree. It is pretty surprising that McGonagall doesn't take, choose to take away any points whatsoever or like give him retention, but instead just says, Your father would have been proud. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself. Yeah, that must have it. felt amazing. Yeah. One more observation I had when I was reading this chapter is that Malfoy is a living example of what Harry would have been if he had been brought up by a visiting family. Like, so entitled. so arrogant and taking everything for granted i think that's a really nice contrast that he is actually adversarial with someone who he might have been. turned into yeah i agree and if harry had grown up in the visiting world he might have even been worse than malfoy because malfoy only grew up as a malfoy pure blood malfoy yeah. but harry would have been like savior of the visiting world and you would have probably been friends with malfoy also so that brings us to the end of today's episode thank you so much for listening 
So in the next episode we will talk about the events leading up to Harry getting a new friend. That's chapter 10 Halloween. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps like Pocket Casts, Stitcher, even YouTube. If you have any comments to share with us, just drop by our website nimblewibble.in and leave us a comment there. If you think that we missed something or if you found that something we said was wrong don't forget to point it out <laughs> by dropping a comment in our website so until next time bye bye bye